Okay, thank you all for joining. Today we really have an exciting session. I have uh, leaders from uh, all over the area who are really into the blockchain, payments, future of payments, amazing speakers. Uh, Rudy Shushani, I'm the host and the moderator and founder of uh, DX Talk. Those of you who don't know me, my background is ICT governance, cybersecurity, and digital transformation strategies. So today, the future of global payments and central banks, two topics that really of world and the forefront of technology and forefront of, uh, you know, uh, technically changing the future of our lives. Uh, as I said, so Michel Khazaa, he's a crypto payment thought leader, international cryptocurrency consultant, speaker, lecturer on crypto, and uh, much appreciated. He also helped a lot on, uh, you know, formulating uh, session. Uh, thank you again. Dr. Oriel Godvilla, he's a management consultant, fintech advisor in Hong Kong, fellow at the Digital Euro Association. Uh, welcome also to this platform and I uh, really want to thank all of the speakers today because each and everyone in his area and his geographical area is, I think, you know, they are on the forefront and really would really love to understand and love to share their experience with us, you know, each one covering uh, a different uh, geographical area. Uh, was it uh, Dr. Oriol from Hong Kong and Asia or uh, Michelle from Europe? With that, I just want to start uh, by welcoming our speakers. I'm going to start by Michelle. Please, Michelle, introduce yourself to our audience. And with that, I'll take the Dr. Oriol after that. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy. And uh, I also join you to welcome everyone on, on this chat today on this talk today. I see familiar names, familiar faces, so I'm happy also to uh, to uh, to have you on uh, on board. And also I'll present myself for the ones who don't know me. I am Michel Kazaka. I work in consulting mainly, consulting of payments, round payments. And the payments value chain for some, it's unknown for some, it's very well known. So payments we will talk about later. And on this value chain of consulting and payments, I also specialize in cybersecurity, payment security, and crypto, payments innovation and crypto. So I'm currently at France Payments Forum. I animate, I, I lead the work group around crypto payments. Nicolas Dessez just uh, talked a little bit and introduced himself a little bit. So he's also one of the founding members of France Payments Forums, France Payment Forum. And I work internationally in France and Switzerland and uh, Spain, Australia, USA. So I have, I have some international experience in payments and blockchain use cases. Thank you, uh, Michel. Uh, Dr. Oriol, would you mind also introducing yourself more to the audience so we can better understand? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you very much uh, for having me today. It's a pleasure to, to participate in this event. Um, thank you very much to, to all the audience you know, for attending this, uh, this webinar. Well, about myself, I'm, I'm wearing uh, several hats right now. Uh, but uh, to make it short, basically, I would like to say that I'm working as a uh, fintech advisor for uh, several fintech companies, and most of them based in Hong Kong, where I'm normally based as well. Aside from that, I'm working as a management consultant for a European um, legal tech company called TerraHelp. And aside from that, I am fellow at several organizations, including the Digital Euro Association in Europe. And I'm also doing research on several areas and topics, uh, being uh, my main areas of research and interest, uh, that of uh, central bank digital currencies, especially the digital yuan and other projects in Asia, as well as um, blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ayol. As we see, we have a really uh, lovely audience and uh, amazing, amazing uh, people today. They want to share their the information that we have. So uh, let's start by Dr. Ayol. If you mind, also, you mentioned DEA, all right? I want you to define it. What is its role today? What is it doing? What, what is it really about? Sure. Uh, as I said before, uh, the Digital Euro Association is one of the several organizations I, I currently belong to. Basically, the DEA is a uh, think tank uh, specialized in uh, central bank uh, digital currencies, stable coins, crypto assets, and other forms of uh, digital money, but uh, particularly focusing on the digital euro. Basically, the DEA's mission is precisely to, um, to contribute to the public and political uh, discourse through uh, research, education, and by providing a a platform for uh, policymakers, uh, regulators, academics, uh, economists to, to discuss uh, any uh, money-related uh, topic, uh, being, of course, the digital euro, one of the hot uh, topics, because, of, you know, this is a very interesting project now. So this is, of course, at the very core of the Digital Euro Association. 
Thank you, thank you. Michelle, do you mind introducing also the France Payment Forum in parallel uh, sure. to really what it does, what is it doing, what's the latest uh, project? Sure, so France Payment Forum is a French association. It's like a club of payment actors. So the payments value chain actors are banks, are payment service providers, are terminal constructors. I mean, everyone who works on this industry called payments, from central banks to uh, automated teller machines, constructors, or software editors like Visa, like, sorry, scheme, scheme editors. Yeah, these are members of this club. They re it represents, France Payments Forum represents all the actors of this value chain in France. It has an action now to, to also work on the European Payments, yeah, European Payments Forum. It's an ongoing project, and it is divided into work groups. One of them is for card payments, the other one is for regulation and payments, etc. And we've recently, last year, um, I've created with Nicolas here, uh, with us on the call, and the president of the association, a work group dedicated to crypto payments. So it's not cryptocurrency, it's not blockchain, it's crypto payments, which is one of the use cases of the blockchain and the cryptocurrencies and the acceptance of payments using crypto or the central bank digital currencies can be private, can be public. So we are working with, we are benchmarking the experimentations that are going on from central banks. We are following also what the private sector is doing. And we are taking into account what can be the impact and the opportunities for the legacy actors of the value chain. And we also open to the fintechs, the startups who have innovations around this um, opportunity. But we will talk later maybe what's crypto payments for us and what we do in as projects. But this is what the France Payments Forum stands for. All right, thank you. Uh, let's go to Dr. Oriol. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, you. I think you're in a very unique area where you are now. Uh, you're in Asia. You're in the hype of uh, that crypto or payments uh, or future payments or, you know, that trends. Everything technically is happening uh, on that side uh, in a faster scale. You know, you are in Hong Kong, China, which is leading technically on the CBDC front. Do you mind telling us why China is leading? What differentiates from other, uh, you know, players? Uh, for example, uh, you know, Europe is also trying to, you know, follow that uh, race. What's the future of that CBDC, since you are also in, you know, following up on that front and you are actually inside the, that storm of payments? Yeah, sure. Um, well, basically, um, I mean, it's hard to summarize this, but um, I think the whole idea here is the fact that, um, I mean, of course, that uh, China did not, didn't invent you know, the idea of CBDCs, but I think they simply started first. They started first and they've been like uh, more eager than, than many other countries, you know, when it comes to testing their own CBDC, proceeding with a pilot test, et cetera, et cetera. I think that uh, that's, that's pretty much the key, you know, here, uh, this idea of uh, trying to be first and trying to, to be maybe more eager than, than other countries or areas. I think this is so as well, because as you know, uh, central bank digital currencies may actually be serving like many different uh, purposes. I mean, the digital euro, for example, in the future, if eventually deployed, doesn't need to look like the digital yuan at all. I mean, I mean, in, Every case, it's going to be central bank money, et cetera, et cetera. But then at the same time, the, the, the way that it's going to be, the way it's going to be programmed, it might differ. So I think that's pretty much the idea because China has actually been trying to um, use its digital yuan to promote cross-border payments, which is an incentive that maybe we don't have, let's say, maybe in Europe or in other places to that extent. And uh, this is so because... Um, well, through the digital yuan, China wants to achieve several things, of course. I mean, I'm not saying that China doesn't want to promote financial inclusion or maybe to, to control its monetary system and financial system much more efficiently. I mean, of course, they want to achieve those goals as well. But aside from that, I think that, um, and well, in not, not only aside from that, but in a more important uh, way, China wants to, to promote what I said before, no? cross-border transactions, cross-border payments. This is so because, I mean, there is no denying that the US dollar has been like the most widely used currency in international trade for decades. And this is not going to change overnight, of course, but China kind of realized that they, um, well, they can at least partially try to challenge this. So this is why um, China, to me, and I think um, to many other people, tried to go so fast with those um, digital yuan tests. Uh, I think it's not just uh, me saying that, it's also the facts. I mean, we see, for example, 
China, actually the People's Bank of China, which is China's central bank, recently um, signing that, um, that uh, joint venture with uh, SWIFT. It was in early February. We also saw China starting its digital yuan tests in Hong Kong, which are actually cross-border payment tests. So when we look at the whole picture, we see that China is actually going to, to, well, to try to, to challenge the dominant position of the US dollar, at least uh, partially or to a lesser extent. I mean, to what extent, it's hard to know because the yuan, as you all know, is a non-convertible currency and there are many issues behind that idea. But well, at least the intention, the idea is there. Uh, China is, of course, at the forefront of central bank digital currencies, but it doesn't mean that um, it's the only country in Asia being actually interested in that area. As I always say, uh, to me, Asia is the area in the world where CBDC seems to be attracting much more interest, even though it doesn't mean, of course, that there is no interest in, in Europe or in America. No? But Asia seems to be the place where there seem to be like many more projects. I mean, being, of course, China's the most advanced one, undoubtedly, but there are, of course, um, well, other projects such as, for example, the um, digital yen tests in Japan, which uh, recently started, the digital won tests in Korea. Also, we saw some um, interest in Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Philippines, uh, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, for example, is currently engaged in more than one uh, CBDC project aside from the digital yuan, because there is also the MCBDC project, uh, which actually well, includes the, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, the People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates, and the Central Bank of Thailand. And well, um, closer to, to you in the Middle East, we also saw um, the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates and that of the Saudi Arabia well, testing a, a potential future wholesale CBDC uh, in its uh, project ABER. This project ABER basically started in January 2019 and ended in November 2020. And basically what both countries tried to do was to test whether it was feasible or not <clears throat> to um, eventually deploy someday a wholesale CBDC between both uh, central banks and whether it was feasible or not to do so by using blockchain. And actually the conclusions were much um, well, better results than, than initially expected. So I think that um, Asia is, of course, a hotspot when it comes to CBDCs. Asia, like in a in a um, bigger sense, you no, know, from, from Other, yeah. to to the far east Asia. And I think that uh, China is undoubtedly at the forefront. But um, I mean, many th interesting things are happening in there. So it's important for all of us to keep track of that. Not, not only the, you know, the ones like living and working in there, but also like any of you, because uh, I think it's going to be quite exciting this uh, this coming years. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a big hype and there's a lot of happening in the world, you know, in general. And let's let's wait and see. But uh, the effort is is really, you know, because they are testing uh, slowly. They are, you know, and they have mass of scale. So let's see what will happen uh, throughout the world and what's going to be the the future. Michel, I'm jumping back to you as a crypto payment expert and consultant. What are the trends that companies, clients? heading towards and trying to really achieve in those times, especially now, you know, all of the hype of the Bitcoin and uh, it's, it's it's booming and everybody, you know, trying to follow that trend, not just the Bitcoin, of course, but uh, on the crypto payments, uh, that's more precisely. Mm -hmm. So, Rudy, I would like also to comment a little bit about the CBDC part since uh, Jean-François uh, Jean is, is absent today, sure. to give also the, the mirror of what uh, Dr. Oriol was saying here in Europe at least, or maybe in, in the US also. And then of course, I will love to answer the crypto payments part of it. Um, so just to give you a, a small small idea to the audience, here the French central bank have already started to, uh, to experiment a year ago, eight experimentations around central bank digital currencies. And the use case that were, I mean, the big use case that was chosen was wholesale. This was a strategic choice by the French central bank, convinced that someone in Europe should test this first. And that the wholesale is maybe a better use case for um, for return on investment, for a business model, for a problem solving, in a way or, or in another. The European Central Bank, on the other hand, is a little bit more talking and discussing the uh, the retail use case of central bank digital currencies. The the the, the problem is that they have um, started last year uh, uh, a consultation. Actually, it was the beginning of this year, consultation around what the people would like as features in a central bank digital currency. And the results came um, 
not surprisingly, but very, very strong, the first feature that was required was privacy. So people, people means actors, uh, banks, payment service providers, fintech startups, I don't know who, uh, all the respondents here in Europe said that the first feature, the most important feature is privacy. And this is a challenge for central banks. Uh, of course, the second one was, for example, uh, that it should be very easy to use. Uh, I should be able to use it everywhere, uh, etc. It should use it on a mobile. I should use it offline. So the idea of a central bank digital currency doesn't make yet today here in Europe a mature use case around what features should be should be implemented first. What's the business model for the banks? I mean, the banks will be impacted in a way or in another. So the idea is to use banks as a distribution channel. But then what would be the, the, the business model for the banks? Uh, we've consulted at the France-European Forum, the, uh, the European Banking Federation and other banking associations. And in a way or another, they are either against the central bank digital currency or they don't see at all the problem that it's solving or worse, they see no business model for them. So this is why we have some late uh, timeline of any adoption of a central bank digital currency here in Europe. It's the same in the US. That's what the Fed was saying. There's no urgency. We will take all our time to think to think about it. On the other hand, China has at least four to five years advance on that, on that aspect. But the problem is they've implemented this for their time, time um, for their, their agenda around the Olympic Games, maybe, or they have an infrastructure of mobile payment service providers like gd.com, Alipay, WeChat. And this is a huge distribution channel that can accelerate the, the adoption of a central bank digital currency. One of the drawbacks of the model of China is that it is centralized in a way. It is not that much distributed, use, doesn't use a cent, a smart contracts, for example, to allow to build on, on it in a, in a distributed way. So what we are advising here at Transpayment Forum at our work group for central banks and for actors is to have a model that can be industrialized, industrializing for the sector. What does this mean? Well, central banks are convinced that they need to do something on this area. Maybe the best model is to do it with the public and the private sector to allow a, a smart money, I mean, a programmable money, central bank money, maybe one for the wholesale, another one for the retail with a pegging between them. This is technical, but also to allow banks and financial institutions and private PSPs to, uh, to build on it and issue their own commercial bank coin, commercial bank uh, digital currency, if you want. That can be uh, a DOS that can be uh, backed by or uses the infrastructure of programmable money provided by a central bank, a central bank in general. Why this is important? All what I'm saying has is no sense, doesn't have any meaning for the crypto maximalists. I understand them. For them, they are reinventing the wheel at the central banks. That's why central banks are having some difficult, tough time to go with a business model, convince their distribution channel, find, find a solution, find a way. Meanwhile, in Europe, we are regulating. There's the MECA regulation. We had in France the, uh, the visa of PSAN, which is the... Uh, conservation holding of cryptocurrency and issuing of cryptocurrency so you can get certified for this. Um, we are becoming almost a leader in regulation, but we are losing time in adoption and in innovative solutions. That was my comment on the uh, CBDC very quickly. If you want, I can jump to the crypto payments part. Okay, so, so what is crypto payments in general? Uh, for all of us, you know that money has three functions. You know that it's a means of exchange, it's a reserve of value, and it's a way of measuring things. So one of the best components of it, one of the most uh, important, actually, components of it is the means of exchange. This is payments. So crypto payments is the way to accept the payment using a crypto technology. It can be blockchain. It can be direct exception of token or a cryptocurrency. So for the banking sector, the word cryptocurrency doesn't exist, although it was invented, but I will still use it here for this talk today. A cryptocurrency is a token, a crypto asset issued on a blockchain, can be, in general, it's a public blockchain. So this adoption, we have some feedbacks today of how merchants are adopting a payment solutions based on crypto. Okay, some of them are accepting crypto directly. I pay you with Bitcoin, I pay you with Ether. Some of them are accepting it indirectly. 
I pay you with my Bitcoin, you receive euro, you receive dollars. There are many fintechs here in France and Switzerland and Austria and the US, everywhere in the world, like BitPay, that allow merchants to put a button or put on their uh, point of sale a way to accept crypto with, without the risk of the, the, the fluctuation of the, uh, of the price. Or if you're an advanced merchant, you want to accept crypto, it's possible. So let me give you a quick feedback of the results of this one. This is maybe the most important for the audience about the crypto payments acceptance. Um, one of the studies showed, recent studies showed that it generates usually plus 40% of revenues for such merchants. So a merchant who accepts Bitcoin, Ether, or crypto, Tezos on, on his website, on his mobile, usually generates more revenue for him because for two reasons. Um, people holding crypto wants to uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, to spend it in a way, and they have a higher paying, uh, paying potential or paying value. That's how it generates plus 40%. Um, the, the means, the panier moyen, the, the mean uh, basket size, the means basket amount also increases significantly. And it also reduces the cost of payment for the merchant. Today, when, when you pay online using your credit card, if I pay you $100, you will receive almost $98. This is the average worldwide. These $2 will go to Visa, will go to your bank, my bank, etc. cetera. Uh, so when you pay using crypto, you usually reduce this fee to much, much lower fees that, that can be much lower than 0.5%, for example, for online payments. We're talking online payments. So very important factor for mission to reduce the cost of payments. Um, it also reduced the, the risk and the fraud because a crypto payment, usually it's much more regulated. There's much more scrutiny. And by nature, okay, not everywhere, but by nature on the blockchain, it's much more secure than a legacy payment. And in a way, today we have zero fraud on crypto payments acceptance for merchants. We, we have no case of a fraud on a payment on crypto. Uh, you also immediately, one of the best benefits, you immediately white span the geographical area you're covering. So today, if I want to make an e-commerce website in Lebanon, in Paris, Singapore, well, I will usually accept payments in my region. I will use the carte bancaire here in France. Um, but immediately by accepting crypto, you have no issue about banks, uh, cross-border payments. It's by design cross-border. One of the last benefits is you actually improve your compliance because by nature, crypto payments are very regulated. And that's th these are the best benefits I can tell off. It is a 327%, again, 300% above than 300% ROI. I mean, they have invested money to accept crypto, to put this logo, except Bitcoin on their website, on their mobile app. And the, the ROE was extremely fast. So this is the first thing I can say about crypto payments and a few figures. Rudy, back to you. I can okay, maybe thank you, Michel. Two, two yeah, statistics yeah. if you I'm want. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still okay. here. I was okay. muted. I don't know why. <laughs> Technology. So let, let, uh, Rudy, let me maybe just co complement this with two, with two additional figures. Uh, today, uh, we have uh, more than 100 million persons worldwide that hold crypto, that they want to use it for payments. For example, in France, there's about 4 million at least but much more than 4 million people detaining crypto. And 16% of the French people say they're ready to get salaries in crypto, pay taxes in crypto. So the, the, this is about crypto payments, the adoption, the appeal is here. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Thank you, Michel. Uh, Dr. Oriol, um, let me ask you about you know, the, the future of, uh, of really crypto and the global payment. And uh, what is the role uh, of CBDC that is going to be playing in that uh, future? Because we know there's a big potential, big future. There's a big competition also. And uh, in which business model the banks are they going to be changing? I know it's many questions. Uh, and which kind of, you know, this is going to be impact them. So uh, what is going to be the impact on, on those uh, Mm -hmm. So let's let's take it as a first one. Uh, what do you really think is going to be the future of uh, uh, of that uh, payments? Yes, uh, sure. I mean, to me, um, 
Central bank uh, digital currencies are going to be the, the future of money, the future of payments, you know. But it doesn't mean, though, that it's only going to be like the only element in the future of payments, you know. I mean, what I foresee, I, I may be wrong, of course, but what I foresee is a future where many or several um, means of payment will coexist. I mean, we are not going to, to lose, to drop cash uh, overnight. It's not going to happen like that. Some societies are like very advanced in that sense, like uh, China, for example, but still, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. So cash will remain in there to a lesser extent, but it's going to be there. Then uh, we're going to have uh, CBDCs, of course, which are going to be, well, I mean, a digital yuan or digital euro is going to be nothing else but a digital version of the central bank money that we already have. So that's, of course, going to be a key element in our future of payments and money. And of course, um, then we have this uh, third element, which are like cryptocurrencies, which I mean, it's true that uh, so far they have been like um, considered more like an investment no, by many people. But uh, as Michelle was saying now, I mean, it's perfectly possible to use uh, cryptocurrencies for, for making payments. And actually many companies are already like offering this um, possibility you now in Europe and then worldwide. So this is why I think that cryptocurrencies are also going to be an element in this uh, future of payments. I mean, what role each one of them is going to play? I mean, it's, well, I guess that time will tell, no? But um, for sure, I think uh, I'm foreseeing a, a, this um, ecosystem where all these uh, are going to coexist. Uh, of course, I mean, there are going to be differences depending on each country. For example, China has been like very eager to promote uh, blockchain technology, to promote the digital yuan, but they have not been so eager in uh, with cryptocurrencies. You know? I mean, uh, we know that they adopted like a tough stance towards cryptos for for years. So, I mean, how they're going to coexist is going to depend on each country, on, on their laws. But I think that generally speaking, worldwide, we're going to see this ecosystem where all those uh, means of payments are going to coexist. Um, I just yeah. wanted to, to comment as well on a couple of things that Michelle said before, which I think are very relevant to, to this CBDC sure, topic. Sure. The first one is about uh, privacy. And I, I think he was actually spot on. And well, he proved what, what I said, uh, what I'm saying many times in other webinars. Whenever I talk about CBDCs in, in Europe, I find that uh, people's main concern, mo most of their questions uh, during that event and after that event are related to those questions to privacy. People are worried about how the central banks, the governments are going to track their payments, etc. Uh, whereas in Asia, whenever I talk about this topic here in Hong Kong or in mainland China or anywhere in, else in Asia, people tend to be more worried about um, well, other things, maybe the, the technical features of the future digital yuan, etc. But maybe privacy would go like uh, maybe on a fourth or fifth level, <laughs> like their their number one uh, concern or priority. So uh, this is just a remark that I wanted to make. And then um, aside uh, from that, uh, you also mentioned the China's infra infrastructure and payments, and that's actually very true. I mean, it's not so easy for a country whose citizens. Uh, are not so uh, used to paying uh, electronically to uh, introduce a CBDC. Yeah. Whereas, for example, in China, it's much more simple no, for them to, to test their digital yuan and eventually roll it out next year by the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing because people in China are already very used to paying uh, using uh, Alipay, WeChat Pay, this kind of payment platform apps. So, of course, the digital yuan is going to be different, but I think that the core, that the main idea, the very core is... Well, for people, it's pretty much the same, even though, of course, we're talking about different concepts. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm going to follow up with a question uh, related to fintechs, you know, because now fintechs are playing a big role in that front. What's what's going to be their competition and what's going to be their role? Because in, sometimes uh, we see that, you know, in some of the areas that fintechs are really not a competition. They are a complementary to what's happening. Uh, on other regional, regional or uh, regions, they are more of a competition. They're taking business out of banks, you know, depending where you are, what, what, what's, what's the role and where are the regulations and all of that. What's your take also towards this? Yes, I mean, I think it's pretty much what you said. No, it depends on where you are. But generally speaking or globally speaking, I think that uh, we are actually uh, witnessing a change uh, in trend. I mean, in this trend, no? A few years ago, it's true that uh, most uh, incumbents, most uh, traditional banks um, saw fintech as a threat for them. No, I mean, they thought that fintech was uh, a threat, uh, even for some institutional players. Uh, maybe this area was like a passing fad, something that would like vanish 
after a while. But I think there's been like uh, actually a very interesting um, well uh, change in, in their mindset. Right now, I don't think that um, the, the relationship between uh, incumbents, between the traditional banks and those uh, challengers, those fintechs, is that of a um, competition rather than cooperation. I think the key right now is cooperation. I think it was like that uh, before COVID, but especially now during and after COVID, the key is going to be a cooperation here. So this is why, I mean, it is true that um, that uh, to, to some uh, banks, fintech firms may still be a threat. But generally speaking, I think we are moving towards a system where we're going to see many more um, traditional uh, banks, incoming companies, trying to leverage the opportunities offered by fintech companies by uh, well, partnering, by teaming up, teaming up with them. I think this is going to be the um, present in the future. Uh, one example, for example, I mean, there are like many like potential uh, examples of that, but would be, for example, um, would be the um, uh, virtual banks in Hong Kong. As you know, Hong Kong launched uh, eight virtual banks uh, last year. And I think that the key uh, in the idea in here, or the most interesting aspect to, to highlight, is the fact that those uh, eight virtual banks are actually backed by, by incumbent companies. So this shows you that, that it's not uh, like... Um, we're not talking about two uh, different areas. No, we're talking about two complementary areas. And I think this is the present and the future. I think the pandemic has um, acted as a catalyst in many ways in enabling a much uh, faster adoption of fintech and also in showing uh, key incumbents that the future is all about uh, cooperating. That's at least my, my take on this topic. Thank you, uh, Dr. Oriol. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a big, big, uh, you know, uh, for me, collaboration and participation in, with together that's not uh, a kind of a competition in terms and this is where you know they have to see and now we've seen the payment service directive too which really you know also enabling such uh, you know, i won't say it as a competition but also enabling this somehow to really open and create that third party create more channels create you know open that banking infrastructure uh michelle i'm gonna ask you the same question where do you see the future of that global payment and crypto and so on and uh, the role of that uh, cdbc uh, that is playing also in this well as as the oriol said it's very hard to predict the future but we can have some educated guesses on on this one true um from what i see and from my experience I see that when the card payment came, check did not die immediately. Still not dead today. It's just a curve that's going down. So yes, when cryptocurrency came and when cryptocurrency adoption grows, and if it grows, we will see also that the uh, classical electronic payments will still go in parallel. Actually, the, the, the Bank of Bahamas and the Central Bank of China, they both talked, and uh, today other central banks are talking the same thing, that a central bank digital currency scheme should be seen as a parallel system of the existing payment system. In case we have a cyber attack on clearing houses, on central bank processing RTGS systems, or on banks, where we would have, in theory, a parallel system called a blockchain-based or a central bank digital currency or a programmable money running in parallel of the other system. This is one way of viewing the future. But I'm completely convinced that the future of cryptocurrencies would be with three parts. Private, completely private, I mean, open-sourced, community-based, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies. So these are the, the people's cryptocurrencies, let, let me call it this way. The second one would be corporate-based cryptocurrencies, such as DM. Amazon is working on a project like this. Apple is studying it. I don't know, Google, maybe others big, big are, uh, I mean, big GAFAM are, are working on such projects. Uh, so we can see coexist public-based open-sourced cryptocurrencies, corporate-based cryptocurrencies, and central bank cryptocurrencies. And one of the uh, issues is, the global stablecoin, I mean, the, the cross-border central bank digital currency, how to redeem a digital euro with a digital yuan with a digital US dollar. So there is a construct, there's a platform to build, there's an infrastructure to build, and SWIFT recently published a, a paper on this. SWIFT wants to reposition itself because it's being uh, threatened by this, this evolution as a player on the central bank cross-border 
com compatibility. This is from the central bank and the cryptocurrency part. But from the payments part, the adoption is starting. Today, cryptocurrencies are used just to hodl. I mean, to, uh, to keep the money against the inflation as a reserve of value, especially in the context of uh, negative rates here in, in, in Europe, for example, or very low rates worldwide. So people are today holding crypto uh, against a hedge of the loss, losses of value of their own money, the euro, the Lebanese pound, for example, is, is, a, is a very important example, unfortunately, on this one. So the future of holding, so the features of money is, as we said, a means of value, a means of exchange, the way of measuring things. The future, the evolution of the holding is to pay with it. And this is where the battle is going on. Central banks don't want people to pay with something other than a central bank money or an electronic regulated money. Well, as you know, money is the monopoly of power. One of the definitions of money is just the monopoly of power or the monopoly of violence, if you want. So central banks will try to stop this in a way to transform crypto assets. Cryptocurrency is just crypto assets like gold. You can have gold, but well, you are not able to pay with gold worldwide for many reasons. So they want to push this for that side. And the battle is from open communities to try no, to make it as, as easy and as possible to pay with cryptos. That's what I see from for the few coming years. Yeah, thank you, uh, Michelle, for that. There's a lot of, you know, again, uh, <laughs> a lot of happening in, in the world and uh, a lot of solutions also. And uh, yeah, as you said about SWIFT, uh, it's actually being disrupted itself. You know, it was a king uh, of uh, transborder payments and so on. And uh, the same thing was Microsoft, king of desktop. And all of a sudden they woke up, you know, they have a, a competitor called uh, Google, uh, Android. And they, they, you know, it was natural for them to be on every phone and they are not. Same thing that's happening now with, with SWIFT and uh, the GPI that was created to try to really, you know, with all of the help that they're doing, I think, you know, they still need a lot of time, a lot of innovation. Uh, they must adapt faster even, you know, with all the fast payment uh, options, they've done it uh, still somehow uh, slow versus uh, the other payments. And this is where, you know, we see, and my question to uh, Dr. Oriol, you know, what are, you know, we have a question here about uh, coins, but I'm not going to ask it the same way because as a payment method, but what do you think, what do you see as a crypto payment method from the available, you know, of course, we're not going to be talking about Bitcoin as a payment uh, method. We understand because there's a big volatility. We need stabilization. We need all of this that is not happening on the crypto or on the Bitcoin itself. But there are alternatives and there are many other players that they are playing or trying to play that role. So where do you see that, you know, uh, in the world? This is a question from uh, Jacob. Well, uh, I think it's pretty much what you said uh, now. No? Um, I think that the whole challenge here is uh, precisely volatility. It's, um, to me, still quite complicated you know, to, to think of, uh, let's say, um, getting your salary paid in crypto and making a certain uh, payments in cryptocurrencies if you never know, no, I mean, what's going to happen with its value like the next day. So that's what makes maybe in this sense, um, when it comes to payments, uh, it makes stable coins such as, for example, Tether, the most reliable ones for that, uh, in that sense, no, for that purpose. Um, and when it comes to, to the whole idea, well, I think it's what we said before. No, I, um, I think that the future is going to be about uh, combining uh, cash and CBDCs and then cryptocurrencies, even though uh, cryptocurrencies are perhaps like the most challenging ones uh, because of, of those issues or, or features that we mentioned, I mean, volatility. Then uh, there is also this uh, regulatory element. I mean, when it comes, for example, to CBDCs, uh, they're going to be issued by a central bank. So you never need to be worried about uh, a certain government uh, changing its mind like uh, from one day to the other. Whereas when it comes to cryptocurrencies, where I mean, there is always this element of risk that maybe you don't find when it comes to, to CBDCs. But, well, I mean, I think that uh, the general idea is there, no? and um, many more people are becoming interested in cryptos and they're becoming mainstream. So uh, they're going to be, of course, part of this uh, future of payments um, to some extent. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, you know, <laughs> uh, thought. Michelle, let me ask you also about 
you know, we've heard about uh, Chase Manhattan, JP Morgan, and other banks today, they are putting in their uh, assets, uh, Bitcoin and other, uh, you know, crypto. Uh, so uh, this is a question also from, from the audience. What do you think about that step of, you know, having in their portfolio uh, such uh, coins? We're talking about institutions investing in crypto in a way or, or another. Well, today we have just passed this point years ago, I mean, at least two years ago. Um, the, the, the peak of 2017 was mostly made by Mr. and Madam Everyone who wanted to invest a little bit in crypto to play or to test with it. Today, institutions, I mean, hedge funds, uh, investment institutions, financial institutions have calculated their risk that if they, they diversify 1%, 5%, 10% of their um, their existing funds on crypto, I'm not talking about Bitcoin alone, they study a, a, a protocol and they say, okay, I will invest partly on, on this one. They actually reduce their risk of volatility of their uh, wallet. I mean, the, the money they are, money under management they have. So we have already passed this point and we will not get back from this threshold. People are talking about the, the raise of uh, central banks' uh, rates. This can impact a little bit how much funds will put on crypto or get out of crypto. There is market manipulation, as we've seen Elon Musk play up, play down. People thought that Elon Musk brought Bitcoin up and Elon Musk brought Bitcoin down. This is wrong. He influenced a little bit, but they forgot that PayPal have adopted crypto payments and Bitcoin and others. Visa and Coinbase entered the, 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 the Wall Street and Binance issued a very important, I mean, there are many news that are structurally changing the value of the crypto payments uh, industry. Now, banks need to catch this up. Excuse me, just, yeah, yeah sorry for that. So that's okay. We 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 understand it. This is uh, the new normal that we are living in. That's okay. It's the time they get back from school. So yeah. <laughs> so yes, um, the, the 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 problem is banks in Europe. They are not adopting this technology. Some banks in Singapore, in US, in Switzerland, they're proposing services to uh, to, to to conserve to to um, to hold cryptocurrency for their clients. Even though we have the the right in France to do it, you have the legislation to do it. Banks have a no go on it from, from authorities, let's say it this way, not to go this path. Um, this is a risk. We've done this before. We've lost many races. Uh, just as a reminder, mobile payments, for example, when Apple Pay and Google Pay, look, I've published a paper in 2013 saying the rise of smart payments, that in 2015, Apple will enter into uh, the mobile payments. Banks here in France said, you are too visionary. This will never, will never happen. When this happens, they try to issue their own wallets that work only with the internal bank. They spend hundreds of millions of euros on such projects and throw it to the recycle bin. And today, they've all adopted Apple Pay. So uh, they, they are getting late on the adoption. And this is a big problem we have in Europe. Yeah, thank you, uh, Michel. I'm taking just questions from the audience. Uh, please do keep them coming. We have a lot of questions from YouTube and we have also questions here. We will uh, really try to as much as we can really take them because this is the most important thing, not just you know having the info. We have leaders here who are on the forefront of such technologies. So uh, keep them coming, the more uh, the better. Can we define CBDCs as private blockchain, which is different from the cryptocurrencies which run on public blockchains? This is a question from Beverly Pang. Can we define CBDCs as a private blockchain, which is different from other cryptocurrencies? Can anybody uh, answer that, uh, Dr. Orior or uh, Michel? Sure. I mean, I can start, but I'm sure that Michel is going to have like uh, more points to add. Um, I think this is wrong. Basically, because CBDCs do not need to be blockchain-based. I mean, it uh, it is possible for CBDCs to be based on blockchain. It might be actually useful for them to do so. I mean, but I mean, you should actually have a look, for example, at the conclusions um, of that uh, Project Abel report that I mentioned before in my first uh, speech. Um, so, yes, CBDCs may be blockchain-based, but they do not need to be blockchain-based. So this is why. Uh, whenever we talk about how to define CBDCs, we cannot like uh, attach 
blockchain to this CBDC definition. I mean, it will use CBDC um, blockchain in some cases, it will not in some others, but I think um, we shouldn't attach blockchain to, to that uh, definition. Yeah, uh, thank you. Mohammed um, is asking actually multiple questions. Um, isn't it a bit wide range currency seeing all those things like Bitcoins, GODB, Pi? Uh, your question, Mohammed, is not clear. Uh, if you mind opening your mic and uh, re-asking it, so it's better. Uh, okay. Yes. Hi. Yes. How's everyone? I, I would like. I would like to ask about uh, this wide range of. Uh, you can see nowadays like a lot of uh, bitcoins, GODB, Pi, whatever it is. So, uh, how can you guarantee which one you're going to be choosing at the end, and which one's real, which one is scamming? <laughs> I'm sorry to ask this question. I don't know if it's in yeah, yeah. We have 4,000 plus digital coins. So uh... Yeah, even more than 5,000. Even more yeah. than 5,000, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you are completely right. Just, just to put this in, on a time frame, we are, in an, in a st- we are at the end of a gold rush era in cryptos. So in payments, we have cycles and payments evolution history. So today, if we take this and project it on the cryptocurrency evolution, we have just ended the gold rush. Gold rush means everybody is issuing his, his, his coin, his protocol for a use case. We have ended this period in 2020, almost, and we are entering a structuring era. What does this mean? Many will die, others will merge, and some will outlive the, the others. So there will be some cleaning on these protocols, but they are useful. I mean, these 5,000 cryptos that have been issued, these are either, exper- most of them are experimentations, research, use case solving. Uh, one of them is, for example, for, I don't know, health. The other one is for uh, the invention of a private coin, or the other one is for distributed KYC. So there are use cases behind them. Maybe in the future, they will merge into something bigger. I believe from my analysis that we have ended the gold rush era. Now, how, how you choose a coin? Well, it depends for what. If you want to invest, there's something to do. If you want to use it as a, as a usability token, I mean, as a non-fungible token, it depends on the use case. So the, the, the most uh, renowned one, of course, beside Bitcoin and Ethereum are today, like for example, Tezos. It depends on where, where are you, Cardano. These are general purpose protocols on which you can build almost whatever you want on a blockchain, on a public blockchain. Some others are just usability tokens or utility tokens. I hope this answers partly your question. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, Michel, to add on your previous uh, answer, not just uh, PayPal and others, also MoneyGram just announced a couple of days back, they're, uh, you know, they're letting their outlets play a role in this. So uh, we're going to be seeing more adoption. You know, they have thousands and thousands of uh, shops throughout, you know, US and uh, later on uh, worldwide, you know, to bring adoption further into the, the, the crypto. So let me take a question from uh, YouTube. We have a couple of questions, actually. Uh, Bank of England was the first to introduce the term CBDCs, but he might be the last to implement uh, or join actually the revolution. Can there any leaps be done in, you know, not just, I don't think just, you know, Central Bank of, I think throughout the world, can they do, you know, jumps or any shortcuts to be on the forefront? Uh, is there anything can happen? Because some are, uh, you know, <laughs> late on in this game. Sure, I can take this one first. Um, basically, no, I mean, I don't think uh, any central bank should take any leap uh, because even China, we said before that China is at the forefront, but uh, it's taken them a while to be in that position as well. I mean, China started to do research on, on the digital yuan in 2014, and they started to test the digital yuan uh, last April and May, one year ago. So we're talking about a six-year research plus a two-year period of uh, testing before uh, next year when we uh, presumably will uh, see China rolling out massively its digital yuan. So in total, it's been, as you can uh, count, uh, eight years. Yeah. So, um, I, mean, and, well, I mean, the same idea applies pretty much to anywhere. So I don't think any shortcut is uh, recommendable in that, uh, in that case, because um, we are talking about um, well, some very sensitive issues. I mean, CBDCs are not just one more uh, privately issued cryptocurrency among uh, those uh, 5,000 that we were talking now. CBDC is actually central bank money issued by a central bank. Which means that, uh, I mean, there are many monetary policy issues uh, involved, uh, privacy issues, as we said before. So I don't think any central bank should uh, take any shortcut to, to be first because there is no price being first, you know. So uh, 
I mean, to answer it shortly, I would say no. I think everything needs its, its time. No, and this is of course uh, something that uh, that uh, touches like uh, very sensitive uh, issues for for each government, for each country. So. I don't think any shortcuts should be considered. Let me take another question. What is the Middle East region uh, status uh, in, CDB, in CBDCs? Uh, are they, did they start? Uh, did they have anything? This is from Marie Clemence uh, on YouTube. Well, to, to, to my knowledge, uh, central banks in Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates, as you've already said, they are experimenting. They've published tenders. They've published studies on this one. Uh, the Lebanese central bank has discussed the issuing of a Lebanese pound as a central bank digital currency, but in the midst of the problems we are having, I am not sure where this is going. They've experimented on blockchain before. Uh, Egypt is thinking of, uh, Tunisia, for example, have uh, undergoing studies and experimentations, but there's no advance that have been made or announced announcement that have been made from the, from the Arab uh, country central banks today. Thank you. Uh, I have a similar uh, follow-up question from Rania Jordi. What's your intake? Or oh, as we have been hearing that central banks need creation digital currencies to maintain monetary sovereignty. Uh, the question is about sovereignty uh, in specific. So allow me to, to continue just very quickly on, on this one. Um, that's why at France Payments Forum, we are pushing in a way or another for the sovereignty of the European payments. Uh, today, we are losing payments means by the market. I mean, this is the rules of the market for Visa, for MasterCard in a way, for Swift in another, um, for Apple Pay, Google Pay as a wallet solution. And we wanted to uh, build on the advancement of SEPA, which is the instant payments schemes here in Europe we have just put in place. We are building innovation on it using the request to pay service, the PSD2 service. So... Uh, the sovereignty of the payments is, is essential. That's one of the first use cases for central bank digital currencies. Although banks don't see a money business model immediate for this, but from a sovereignty point of view, this is essential. And that's why blockchain, okay, it's not essential, but a blockchain-based central bank digital currency is very useful for programmable money to allow commercial banks, in a way, private sector fintechs, another way, to build on these smart contracts, to build on these platforms. We can do everything in a centralized way, but we can do much more today using either DLT, which is not a blockchain, it's distributed ledger technology, or a blockchain-based issued token on, on this technology. Yeah, the sovereignty is one of the first use cases, major use cases, not to, uh, not to forget. Yeah, I'm going to take that question because it's very Lebanese-specific uh, from Hamad Srouji. In Lebanon, is it allowed to use crypto? Uh, we have been trying to establish a payment processor through crypto, but as far as I know, it is not allowed by the central bank. Uh, let me uh, simplify it. Anything related to uh, payments has to be regulated in Lebanon by the central bank, BDL. And I think Lama from BDL is here. If you want to take that also answer, uh, it's up to you. Uh, but uh, Lama is from BDL, uh, so that's why I'm uh, pointing her out. But there was a clear uh, circular about uh, you know crypto uh, related to the banks that they are not allowed to you know to hold it, touch it, play with it, uh, even uh, so. This is on top of on in, in Lebanon. But uh, what we've seen in the last you know because we are facing a, a crisis here, uh, we've seen adoption throughout. You know many uh, shops, many people are now accepting bitcoins and the payments or you know crypto uh, payments uh, throughout their uh, uh, e-commerce or throughout their shops or throughout their payments or even the exchange of money as a mean of, uh, you know, uh, to support uh, the accepting uh, transfers uh, from outside, uh, you know, also to support their families. So on the ground, crypto is being used throughout, uh, of course, uh, without any regulation. But uh, the central bank regulates only, uh, you know, what is related to payments and monetary he cannot also regulate uh, other ones. Uh, it's available throughout the world. And you cannot hide, uh, you know, blockchain has given democracy a name. Uh, you cannot uh, hide it away. You cannot stop it. Uh, it's there to be, <laughs> you know, to give people uh, their rights. So let's go to uh, another question. Uh, from central bank point of view, how life cycle of creation, destruction of money evolves according to economic activities in crypto money ecosystem. Uh, Dr. Ariol, if you want to take it. Sure. Actually, before um, going there, I would like to share with you a website. It's related to that question that um, 
well, that someone asked before. Uh, this website website is called uh, CBDC Tracker. It's an initiative okay. uh, started by a Boston Consulting Group, Digital Euro Association, and a few more companies. It allows you basically to keep track of all the CBDC projects in the world in real time. I mean, maybe that. I mean, sometimes it may not be like 100% updated all the time because this keeps changing fast. But I think it's going to give you like a general uh, overview of how uh, those projects are going. It's going as well to show you that in the Middle East, in the MENA region in general, uh, there are many CBDC projects. No, it's uh, what Michelle said before about uh, Project Aver, Lebanon, Egypt, Egypt, but uh, not as many as, as other areas. Yeah, I uh, just said it on uh, YouTube, so for the people who are okay. following on YouTube, so they can also... Thank you. Yeah. And regarding that uh, question uh, from Hassan, um, from a central bank point of view, um, well, uh, crypto money ecosystems are, of course, uh, different no? from the traditional ones. Uh, that's uh, for sure. But um, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to answer that because um, cryptocurrencies are not uh, considered anywhere and uh, generally speaking, uh, like a part no, of the um, of the money ecosystem. I mean, cryptocurrencies are not a uh, central bank money. So, uh, I mean, this um, new idea, you know, it's part of DeFi decentralized uh, finance, which means that precisely their goal is to to um, well to to not be um, controlled, let's say, by central banks or authorities. So this is why they kind of escape this uh, this traditional cycle no, of creation extraction of money because. I mean, it's not actual money per se. It's what Michelle said before. No? I mean, you can like use them as a as a uh, backup asset. So this is why um, uh, it's hard now to to establish how they are a part of this um, of this uh, crypto money of this um, cycle of creation and extraction of money because they're actually not per se part of this. Yeah, it's two different systems. But uh, if we take it on CDBDCs, uh, you know, if we change the crypto money to mm. CBDC. It makes more sense. I think the question makes more yes. sense. Yes, in that case, yes, of course. I mean, if we talk about CBDCs only, uh, well, I think CBDCs are are a big change in some ways. You know, I mean, I said before, they are the future of money, the future of payments, but at the same time, they are not such a big change in the sense that at the end of the day, we're talking about central bank money. So it's going to be issued by a central bank, nonetheless, same idea as the existing sure. uh, central bank money that we have. It's going to be uh, controlled by them. I mean, if anything, it's going to allow central banks to have like a much um, well, stronger control you know, over the, the transactions, over the flow of money, hence the privacy issues that we mentioned uh, before. You know? But uh, generally speaking, uh, I don't think there's, they are going to make a huge change in the, in the cycle of creation and extraction of money, uh, aside from, from maybe this idea of, uh, of more uh, control and, of course, uh, more efficiency. I mean, CBDCs are going to to make the payment systems theoretically much more uh, efficient. I mean, we already on the media, for example, a few months ago, those news about uh, Bank of England uh, losing the track of, uh, I think it was like uh, 6 million worth pounds in, uh, in coins and notes. No, I mean, they didn't know where they were, basically. So this is not going to happen with the CBDC. So I think those are the main differences. And of course, the fact that we uh, mentioned before, no, and Michelle and I, the fact that CBDCs are programmable money, that you may add or remove certain features. But when it comes to the basic macro ideas, I don't think there's going to be such a huge change. Yeah, allow, okay. allow me to, to, to comment, sure. bit, to, to add a little bit more. So this is, this is a very important question from Hassan about the, uh, the monetary policy behind CBDC. Well, Today's decisions by central banks is that it should follow completely the monetary policy. This is one point. The second point is that this is not sure that it will be open for um, foreigners. For example, if you are not a European citizen, this is not sure that you will be allowed to, to hold crypto central bank digital currency for many reasons, for many maybe monetary policy efficiency, for risks, for fraud, etc. So th there are many things that are not yet decided, but one thing that is completely decided that it will follow the the rates of the central bank. So if you have inflation, you will have the inflation of the central bank digital currency. If you have negative rates, you will have uh, money that will uh, lose value uh, very quickly, basically. And this is funny because the uh, the governor of the Bank of England recently said a polemic statement, said, to all of you crypto users, be aware, you will lose all your money. And the comments that came back immediately on him on the internet Look, the, the loss of value of the British pound, I mean, the power to buy uh, in 100 years of a British pound, it went from something, for example, to zero. You can see it exponentially 
dropping. Same thing for the dollar, for many reasons. So people are not listening to such commands. There is risk, of course, but people are not listening anymore to central bank commands that you will lose the value of your crypto. Well, tell that in Lebanon, for example, to someone who holds Lebanese pound. Even tell that to someone who holds euro, because the euro power has followed the same buying power as dollar and pound. So this is why there is a problem with the monetary policy in a way, and the impact of the adoption of crypto in the other way. These two are almost not, not, not correlated, but inversely correlated. Yeah, I have a question actually from on, on WhatsApp now. We're taking questions on WhatsApp. Uh, <laughs> uh, regarding uh, Bahamas, you know, being the first uh, established and launched project in, CDB, in CBDC, I don't know if you guys followed this and anybody, you know, can answer. Other than, you know, uh, being a small country, we understand and, you know, it's easier to launch crypto-backed uh, or uh, CBDC, actually, coin. But what are the elements for that success, you know, uh, that they actually launched? Uh, okay, I can I can take this one very quickly. The, the governor of the Bahamas Central Bank said in a recent conference, maybe it was in the Omfi, okay, I forget the name of the conference name, maybe it was a BIS summit or something like that. He said that the main purpose of creating central bank digital currency, behind being it a boss, behind being it the leader, the number one who did it, seriously, it was to make a parallel system. In case we have an attack on the first one or a failure of the first system, we have a parallel system. But one, one of the best use cases for it was mobile payments in shop stores and in, uh, in stores. So re- retail CBDC, this was the, the use case. Yeah. I have Sherbel Agostin, if you're still with us, uh, if you want to ask the question, please uh, open your microphone. Hello, Rudy. Hello, everyone. Hi, Sherbel. Thank you for the amazing talk. Well, my question was kind of a prediction or opinion regarding to blockchain or not to blockchain using CBDC, and uh, the speaker just uh, tackled this uh, this subject uh, from different places. Thank you. Uh, I'm, again, I'm going to thank uh, Dr. Oriol and uh, Michelle for uh, being with us today. If anybody has any other questions, uh, Mr. Nicholas says, if you have anything to add, I would really, you know, take your point of view. Uh, it will be a, a pleasure uh, for us. Well, th- thank you very much. Uh, you offered me the privilege of uh, saying something, and I would just like only to congratulate uh, yourself as an excellent moderator, our panelists uh, with a very clear and exp- explanation. So I do not necessarily share everything that has been said, but uh, as a whole, I very much appreciated the clarity and the um, fairness of uh, what has been said on these uh, fascinating but difficult, sometimes difficult subjects. And also I would like not to forget anyone, to congratulate the audience for very good questions, which triggered uh, very fine uh, answers. So congratulations for all. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Nicolas. Uh, it's really uh, appreciated, uh, you know. Um, I'm just going to, if anybody has extra question, and uh, we really start concluding. Uh, I think uh, this session was really amazing. Thank you a lot. Uh, you know, uh, one of possibly the best uh, interactive, you know, that topic uh, is somehow unique, but uh, I think it was uh, uh, taken in a very uh, beautiful way, uh, very clear way uh, and uh, approach to everybody so it can be easily, you know, uh, understandable. Um, just, you know, going through... Uh, uh, if I missed any question, actually, uh, it seems I have not. And I'm going to do a round on uh, uh, YouTube. Uh, a dodge is the money of Earth. I know. Uh, thank you, Jacob. Uh, dodge so far was a joke and a joke taken. So I think a joke taken far uh, so far. Uh, and we're going to be seeing what's going to happen now with uh, between Elon and actually Dodge because yesterday there was a fight. On, on Twitter between both of them, and uh, we're going to see. Anyway, uh, Dr. Oriol, if you have anything to add uh, to conclude. 
no, no, I think that that was uh, pretty much everything. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me today, and thank you, uh, thanks to all the attendees for for uh, participating in this event and asking us like so many questions. I think the whole idea here, I think that um, the key point, the base, is the fact that um, I mean uh, we are living in this digital world you know, where things go very fast, so it's difficult to keep track of everything, but at the same time, it's very fascinating. So this is why events like this one are so enlightening. Yeah, uh, and thank you for uh, you know accepting and being here today. And I know the time difference uh, is, uh, is is also uh, great, uh, but thank you uh, for uh, making it and being with us. Uh, Michel, uh, the last word is for you. Uh, thank you, Rudy. And it's, it was a pleasure being with you, Dr. Oriol, too. Thanks also for all the audience. Rudy, it's, it's a great opportunity to... Uh, to share part of our learned lessons and our passion about, and our convictions also about the, the evolution that's going on. So looking forward to next steps on this one. Uh, thank you. I think we are really into the future of, uh, you know, this topic is really the future. You know, I do many speaking arrangements and one of the things that they ask me, what are the students, especially in universities, what are the students, you know, what are what they supposed to get skills or, you know, go into? And unfortunately, you know, uh, in, in universities, they're not, they're not up to uh, the latest and greatest uh, in their uh, education system and in their curriculums. I, I always suggest two things, and one of them is, is actually uh, on the payment, especially on blockchain, because blockchain in specific, uh, you know, even though you know, there's different terms or different means of payments, but blockchain is the way we see it is really the, the future of, uh, and it's going to be really uh, changing uh, material for, for humanity. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Dr. Oriol, a lot. Thank you, our participants. Uh, really, you know, you stayed and uh, you were very interactive. Thank you again. Please don't forget to uh, fill up the survey. Join us on WhatsApp for our YouTube uh, people. Please subscribe and like. Uh, I'm going to be staying here for another five minutes. If anybody has any question for me, uh, I'm going to be taking it. Thank you again, all. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Dr. Oriol. And a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye to all. Thank you very much.